0: Please turn with me to Psalm 84. We'll be looking at a very interesting journey, an inward as, as well as an outward journey, a journey of destiny as well as destinations. So um, turn with me please to Psalm 84 and we will read um, most of it, not all of it. We'll read it from verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, my soul longs, Yes, faints for the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is a uh usually acknowledged as a, a pilgrim song as they, as pilgrims from all over Israel would come towards um, Jerusalem for their yearly pilgrimage, yeah, and so they are longing for the courts of the Lord. and David is a, I believe it's a, a song. Actually, some of the songs, songs of Sons of Korah, sorry. Um, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. In whose hearts are the highways to Zion. As they pass through the valley of Bacha or the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs. And the early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Let's pray. Lord, we welcome your presence. Speak to us. We thank you that we are sitting in a moment in which you are pouring out your spirit, that heaven is active right now. And we thank you, Lord, that we can detect your activity in the silence of our own stillness. And so we ask you that you would still our hearts and speak to us. We ask you that you would cause us to have the grace of faith to be able to somehow be impacted by your, your voice to us. Come and speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, how many of you have heard of Glenn Campbell? All right, a few of you. I will, we will not mention how old the ones were. have. But um, when I was a kid, I, my, my sister bought an LP on Glenn Cal- Campbell. It, uh, it was titled I Believe, and it was full of Chris, Christian based songs. Glenn Campbell ha- came from a Christian family, and he was a Christian. Um, in uh, 20, 2017, he passed away at the age of 81 of Alzheimer's degree, di- disease. Uh, but one of the most famous songs that he has written is was Rhinestone Cowboy. Yeah, Rhinestone Cowboy. And it's a really interesting uh, journey that um, Glenn Cam- Campbell uh, went on. And it's uh, uh, accounted for in a book that his wife, Kim Campbell, um, wrote about his life and the way in which he passed away as well. It's a very interesting book. But Glenn Campbell was a person who, you know, coming from a Christian family, had a dream. And the dream was to be where the lights are shining on him. Yeah? And the Rhinestone Cowboy talks about the path that he took towards his success in life. It was a path in which it was a road of compromising on the ri- on the, ri- on the road to his rising. And then he says, but I'm going to be where the lights are shining on me, like a rhinestone cowboy. The whole idea was that um, his path to his um, success and his fame would be marked by... A lot of compromises. He knew that in order for him to gain whatever he wanted, he was going to make many compromises. Um, Kim Campbell's book is about the suffering that took place because of these compromises. It's about his alcoholism, his drug addiction, and the devastation that took place in his life that ended up in just tremendous horrors and, and suffering, even in their marriage. They were married for 34 years. And somewhere along the line, in the just horrible, painful, tearing apart of their, their lives together, um, Glenn Campbell came back to the Lord. But it was a tortuous life in which there was a climax in the devastation in which he pulled a gun on her and threatened to kill her. And at, po- at that point, Kim Campbell had to decide whether she was going to stay with him or she was going to leave. And she had come to the Lord and the Lord spoke to her to stay. To stay for the long journey. And thus, continued a a journey of tremendous ups and downs. But on the road to his healing, God came through on many, many miraculous occasions in their lives. But you see in this book, both the compromises that he made, as well as the redemption that God had done. It's a painful redemption, the merciful pain that he went through. But if you read that book, apparently that book is full of grace. Even though the most famous song that uh, Glenn Campbell wrote was uh, The Rhinestone Cowboy about his compromises, the book is, is entitled Gentle My Mind, which is... Another song that became a hit of his, which is really about the gentle way in which the Holy Spirit worked in him and healed him. It's an amazing song. Um, uh, an amazing book. This uh, book reminds me of something that's uh, of our journey, the long journey that we have. Long journey towards things that are important and they are precious. The, the, the precious things are long journeys, really, most part, for the most part. The precious things, the significant things about our life are really a long journey. And as you look at uh, Psalm 84, you see that there is something of a dual journey that's actually taking place for these pilgrims as they want to make their way towards the destination, which is Jerusalem, the temple of Jerusalem or actually the the, the tabernacle of Jerusalem. There there was no uh, temple at that time. It was just a a portable temple, a tabernacle. And there's that external journey towards a destination. And they are yearning and they are longing to get to Jerusalem. But the journey towards Jerusalem passes by certain perilous spots. And one of them is the Valley of Bacchah. It's not Quite certain where that actual geographical location is, but many um, scholars think that it's uh, near to Jerusalem. But it's a, it's a it's a very parched area where it's very very dry. The, the 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 ground is is just arid and cracked. But there are also certain hazardous parts that the the pilgrims have to pass through, uh, dangerous parts on the way to um, the 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 place of worship yeah and so you have this um, situation in which you have this longing for jerusalem there's a hazardousness of that journey but at the same time there is this journey inward in which the pilgrim is longing for the presence of god he's longing for, or she is longing for the presence of god in which God will slake their thirst, who will appear to them. And what you see is pretty amazing in Psalm 84, because Psalm 84 tells you about the fact that every journey that we take has these two dimensions. One is an inner journey, and one is an external journey to a particular location, a particular geographical location. But the journey is never always external this journey that we take is always a journey if it's a, a journey of God's destiny in which God is take us taking us inward into his presence so that along the way we are experiencing his power the weight of his glory as we were hearing about that in in the midst of that gap the not yet now what's really in, trips me up sometimes, is the fact that because God is a God of eternity, right? He lives in eternity. That's what, that means that if, because He lives in eternity, he, he occupies all of time. Right? And all of time, which is sequential, one day after another, one hour after another, is filled with God's presence even before we reach. So that the journey that God is taking us on is not a journey in which we are not there and then after a long time when we arrive at this particular point of time we call the destination, then we'll be there. In the meantime, everything in between is empty. Does that make sense? Because God comes from eternity, He transcends time and enters into our present time so that along the way, even though I haven't reached the road to my horizons, I can experience God filling this arid ground, this valley of tears with pools and I can dig wells in which God is present. So much so that a bit of that destination can be experienced along the way. That is what it means to have an eternal God. To live in eternity. Eternity doesn't begin only when we we die, in the sweet by and by, but eternity begins the moment Christ comes into our lives. So that the life of eternity, the joy and the strengthening can come along the way. And strengthening needs to happen because the way is hard. If that strengthening doesn't happen, you would give up along the way. And you will never reach your destiny, destiny. You may reach your destination in which, like Glenn Campbell's story, you may get the things that you want, but the, by the time you arrive, you will be thin. Not thick with power. You will not be ready for it. It will kill you. It will destroy you. So that your dreams will actually be destructive, even though they are what you are planned to have. Psalm 84 has to do with the fact that in the inner journey to where God has for us, He doesn't just have destinations for us in which the things that we want will actually happen, the prayers will be answered, but He has destiny for us. So much so that that thing that He has called us to and He has prepared for us begins to sprinkle itself, begins to, to walk backwards towards where we are, no matter how far we are from God, from, from the, from, sorry from the destination. Psalm 84 has to do with the secret of in the meantime experiencing God's fulfillment in real time now. Does that make sense? Now, the question is, how do we cut a path? How are we going to know that the journey, the direction, the goals that we have are not going to destroy us? How do we, do we know that the thing we've been seeking for our dreams are not destructive dreams? How do we know that they are this, this things of destiny? How do we know it, especially when our dreams seem to, seem to be torn apart? Look at Joseph's life, right? The coat of many colours, the symbol of his, the, the father's dreams for him. The, the, the coat uh, which best translated is, with sleeves, which, which indicated that he was a person of destiny in the household. How do we actually negotiate that when our dreams are falling apart or they're just fizzling out? What happens? What's there left? I put it to you that with Joseph, as with all of us, when dreams get torn apart and they begin to fade, fade out, that's where destiny arises. Okay, that's where God's thing begins to arise when we come to an end of ourselves, when all these things begin to experience their normal. The, the, they're no more. When that happens, God begins to arise. Amen? Psalm 84 is a mysterious psalm. It's very profound because it tells us that the journey that we're on is not just an external journey, but it's a journey inside, in the, into the interior. Where God not only resides in the destination, but He resides in, this, in our heart. And we can find Him. Amen? But let it, let, it, <laughs> let it be understood that this journey that God has, has us on is often difficult. It's difficult. And so we have to have the, our strength in Him. So that what it says in verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Amen. In whose hearts are the highways to Zion. When they go through the Valley of Tears or the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Just stop here for a while. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Very interesting. Because if the strength is not in God, we would somehow fade out somewhere along along the way, along, along the highway. Things are too impossible. Things are too difficult. The enemy is too strong. But there are things called highways in the heart. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and in whose heart are the highways to Zion. It's almost as if, if you think of Zion as the place, as the, as, the, as, the, as the expression of God's fulfillment of his purposes, Zion being the place where God's presence is there, where we are closer to God, where he fulfills his plans for us. It's the place where um, we get stronger That by the time we come to Zion, we are not depleted, but actually we are completely transformed to be like Christ. Zion is that place that is, uh, I, I hesitate to use the word mythical, because the word mythical can sometimes mean it doesn't exist. It's just fiction. What I mean by mythical is it's deeper than our mind, our conscious mind could formulate. It's more ancient, more eternal than the human imagination can imagine. Zion has to, has to do with not something that doesn't exist. It is something that is a spiritual reality in which God's purposes are fulfilled in our lives, where the glory of God comes upon us. Amen? So we are all having these highways to Zion. As I said before a few weeks ago, there are currents of sin that are in us. There are currents of perverseness in, the, in, our, in our heart. The sea in of our heart is not a calm sea; it has currents in there. You put your if if, if you if you if you do nothing, the currents will take you towards sin. Second chapter two says um, that we we used to walk in the according to the cause of this world uh, or this world, according to the spirits that work in the sons of disobedience. He's saying that that our psyche is not neutral; it doesn't just float; it doesn't just drift. There are causes that take us into sin. But he says, but God, who's rich in his love, and he has, he has saved us and he has, has rescued us, he's put us on another course. And in the heart, there are currents. There are these currents towards God. And just as there are these currents towards sin, there are also these currents that are highways to Zion. There are roadways, there are grooves in our heart that want God and are led by the Spirit. Amen? Blessed are those in whose hearts are these currents that take us there. And there's a way in which you'll find this in your your own heart as well. There are parts of you and, and me in which we desire God so much. We desire God more than we desire our dreams. We want our dreams to be filled with God. We don't want those rhinestone cowboy things. We want the dreams that have God, God in there. That's Zion. That's the, the kind of highways to Zion kind of, kind of currents in our heart. So I want, I want to say that in this long journey to watch precious things that God has for us, it's hazardous, but there are places in which Psalm 45, Psalm 84 says, there are these two things you can be blessed with. One, if your strength is in God, you can find your strength in God. Secondly, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. So that your heart, your, your eyes are not getting distracted by the bright lights of the city. Or the bright lights of your dreams. But by the thing of God. Amen? So what, what uh, the psalmist says, blessed are those, is, 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 are those whose, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. Blessed are those whose strength is in thee. These are two essential things, and I'd like to just, just spend a little bit of time talking about it before we go into prayer, okay? We'll keep our finger there. If you have at least three fingers, you'll have enough fingers, resources to go to the next passage that I was looking for. It's in First Kings chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. And I'd like to talk about this strength in God. Uh, we were hearing about this nourishment that God has for us. So in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah has just defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Okay. He's had a tremendous um, victory and the rain has started to come. The rain has got to come, the clouds are there, and the outpouring is beginning to come. But before the outpouring comes, comes about, Jezebel hears about it. Okay? She's the, um, the, the Phoenician princess who married King Ahab of Israel and brought in these Asherahs and Baal idols. And that became the dominant religion in Israel she hears about the 400 prophets that have been killed and she says, may that happen to Elijah right now if I'm, before I'm done with him. Okay, So Elijah panics and after this great victory, he's struck with fear. He's so afraid that he runs for the wilderness. He runs towards the desert and he runs until he's so exhausted and he lies down under a broom tree. I don't know what a broom tree, but he, I guess he got swept away by fear. <laughs> he, he, he runs, and, and he's so depleted, and he's so exhausted in his, in his journey out from the presence of Jezebel. But God still has a journey for him. You and I may actually find ourselves off track yeah, and the GPS is saying, "Go back to the route or whatever." Yeah. And we think we're so off track that we can't get back on again. But God is there for us, amen. Our off trackness has been already anticipated by God because He got He lives from eternity, right? He knew that well, he, knew, he knew how lost we would be. And sometimes we can arrive at our destination lost. Have you seen that? You got the job. You got the thing that you prayed for, but you're absolutely lost because by the time you arrive there, you don't have the resources for it. You've compromised your, 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 your spirit so much that you're completely lost. But God knew what was happening with, with, with Elijah. He knew that after this victory, he would be defle- de- depleted and he would go way off course. Yeah? He would go way off course. Taken by another current. It's a current of fear. So he comes to, to Elijah through the angel. And so the angel comes to him. Elijah says, it is enough, O Lord. Take me away. Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. And he says, basically, I've had this victory. This is the climax of my life. This is my life's work. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I just can't do, can't do it anyway. I've come to the high point of my life and I'm done with life. Take me away. And as he lay down, verse 5 of First uh, Kings chapter 19, and slept under a broom tree, behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Wow. But he's so exhausted that it doesn't move him at all. I mean, imagine an angel comes and brings you something and you're so exhausted, so you're, go away, I'm still sleepy. And he ate and drank and lay down again. (laughs) And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Wow. And so he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb and the Mount of God. I would say that the food that the angel gave to him was the food of heaven, right? It's not just bread, but there was something of an anointing on that food that caused him to have that supernatural strength. But I'm struck by the fact that the angel said, the journey is too great for you. Okay? And that's a sobering under, understanding of the journey that's ahead of us. It is actually too great for us. If you don't realize that, then you will be presumptuous in your, your kind of op, naive optimism, to be able to fulfill God's purposes and change the world. Yeah? Change the world. Actually, the angel says, the journey is too great for you. And you need to eat. And you need to be nourished. And you need to have your strength come from a different source. And so in this journey that is too great for us, all of us, I want to put it to you that there is nourishment for all of us. So the, the, the psalmist says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. That strength in you. Now, so how do I apply this? What does it mean to say that my strength is in God? Most people, when they hear that, it says, sounds good. That means God is going to strengthen me. And so they take it and it becomes just an idea in their head that makes them feel a little better because it's an assurance that, that God will help them out. I want to put it to you that actually that's not really what it means. When He says, the strength is in God. Always in Scripture, it means that we are supposed to eat that strength. There's a whole process of being strengthened in God. Not just being encouraged by the idea that God strengthens us. Does that make sense? Now most people, they are, they, they are, they, they, they are satisfied with being encouraged that God says He will strengthen us. But they don't actually experience that strength. Does that make sense? It's like I said before last several times, you go to the restroom and you're desperate for the restroom and you look for the, for those who are men who look for the the man-sized stick, stick figure, right? You rush into that. Sometimes if you don't look carefully, you go in the wrong place with some serious consequences. But you rush and you see the man there. And you grab the sign and says, oh, I've found you. You have actually found the sign. You haven't found the toilet. So, sorry. The restroom, or as you say, the bathroom. I don't know how you take a bath in, your, in the restroom. I've always wondered about the Americans. Like, saying, i found, found, found the bathroom. I don't find any showers or any bath, bathtubs and all that. Only WCs. And you just kiss this thing and you think, oh, I feel so relieved. No, you don't feel relieved. You don't have it. You only have the sign of it. Does that make sense? So there are many people who are encouraged. There's a certain lift, a certain encouragement that comes. God says, your strength is in me. But I would put it to you that when God says the journey is too great for you and you have to nourish yourself and be strengthened, God wants to strengthen us. Jesus says, my word. It has to be eaten, right? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of His blood, you have no life in yourself. You may have encouragement because of the fact that you ate the sign, you kissed the sign, you kissed the word, but that's not got into you yet. And what God was was saying is, you have to have your strength in me. You have to be in me to get that strength. You You have to allow that strength to come into you. Now, I've not heard a lot of Christians talking about how that actually happens. They just, most of, most people just says I'm encouraged by the fact that, oh, okay, I don't have to depend upon myself, or depend upon God. No, I think there's a lot more to it than that. When we had communion, what we were saying is that we're going to take into us the flesh and the blood of Christ. What we meant was the supernatural kabod of, of, of God in us. That's what we were hearing. There is a way in which that has to come in. And how does that actually happen? That is the thing that I found that most Christians just don't talk about, right? How to actually practically actually eat the, 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 the flesh of the Son of God. How do I actually get strength? Because that is going to be crucial. If it is important for it was important for the angel that Elijah, Elijah got, got up twice and ate that thing. It's important for us to know how to get that strength. Amen? As we w- wait upon God, Isaiah 40 says, we will renew our strength as we wait upon Him. And I want to put it to you that actually Psalm 80, 84 has to do with the fact that on the way to the, our destiny, God calls us to be people who are see- seekers of Him so that in the heart, the heart, Always seeking for God. is a highway towards Zion. Always facing Zion. Not facing the, 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 the city. Not facing our dreams, but facing God. Amen? When you set your heart towards Him, you're looking for Him. You may not see Him, but your heart is orientated towards Him. You're constantly calling out for Him. Um, the psalmist in Psalm, Psalm 25 and so many other places says, every day, the morning, noon, and night, I, I lift up my voice, my heart towards you. To look for you. Amen. And as as you're doing that, there is a way in which God is shaping our soul, our spirit, so that it would be conduced to hearing the voice of God or seeing Him. We can't help ourselves. All we can do is just orientate our heart towards Him and be mindful of Him. Amen. We can pray in the Spirit. As that happens, something is happening. The most important thing in terms of getting strength from God is the fact that God is working in us. We can't just take it. We can't just believe. It's not enough for us. Our believing is not, doesn't, doesn't amount to faith. No matter how much I believe, I don't have the substance because faith is a substance of things hoped for. Yeah, the hypostasis. Uh, that's a, the same word that's used for Jesus um, being of the same substance as the Father faith is a substance yeah faith is a substance i can believe all i want but i may not have the substance hello that's why the man the, the father of the sons of the of the boy who was demon possessed says help help me i believe help my unbelief because our belief doesn't amount to substance doesn't amount to faith because when we have faith there is a substance there. Even a faith, a great, a faith that's as, as small as a mustard seed can cause mountains to move. Yeah? And I've said, shared before, faith is, has to do with the way in which God's word hits us. It's an it's, you are, you are You are compelled by it. It's not that you are acting upon the word of God and trying to believe it as much as you can. That would make most of us a disadvantage because we have, we live in a very faithless society. If it all depends upon my belief, I'm God help God, and God help me, because my faith doesn't rise up. If the the, the strength of the chain is in the weakest link, then I'm dead. I'm done. Because if it depends on my faith, on my believing, I can't. I, I don't have it enough. There's too much brokenness. There's too much disappointment too many images, there are strong images of disappointment before. But when, but when we wait upon God, as we wait upon God, He has the power, by His Spirit, to work in our infirmities and cause a reshaping of our hearts. Most of that process is not conscious. Most of it is not felt. But if you can hang with that to wait upon Him, trusting in faith that He will work that work, setting your heart towards Him, he will do the work. At some point, a particle will drop. A crumb will drop. That's what happened with the Syropho- Syrophoenician woman. All she could see in the, in the natural was nothing. Jesus rebuffing her. Just the, the disciples rebuffing her. Everyone hostile towards her. All she could do is just stay there. Just stay there. Just stay there. Just stay there. And then Jesus says to her, it's not meat for the dogs to eat to the the, the food of the children, correct? And then she says, what did she say? But even the dogs could eat of the crumbs. right? Whoa, isn't that amazing? She caught a crumb. And she saw that if I only have a teaspoon, a crumb of your power, it would heal my daughter. The faith comes when we are silent enough and quiet enough and single enough to be able to recognize a crumb. Not when the, the thing is emblazoned upon the sky so that even an idiot can be able to see that God is alive. The ones who have faith, they are quiet enough, they are silent enough and they are patient enough and they are desperate enough to wait for that and they see a little crumb. And they grab it. The people, people who have faith, can see crumbs. People who have no faith have to see it all emblazoned like, like rockets in the sky. Does that make sense? So, those of you who are wanting faith so that that is provable and you want to see a miracle, that will not allow you to have faith. That that doesn't create faith. Faith is a process by which God, by His Spirit, makes His Word become. How uh, many? How many billion tons? One billion table, tons in a tablespoon. When we catch that, there is something so powerful that will move the mountains. Amen? Most people don't come to that. They just say, oh, God says, help, uh, your strength is in me. That's good enough. Just kiss the sign of the man. But what God wants to do is to actually take us on this journey in which we will have our strength in Him. You, you want to be able to, 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 to set your heart towards Him and depend upon Him. Not look to other places. Not, not, look, not look to other strengths. Because other strengths may help, but you don't set your faith upon them. There may be people that God sends to help you. You don't put your faith in them. You put your faith in God. That doesn't mean you don't take their help. You put your faith in God. Amen? There's a difference, a big difference. If you put your help, your faith in the one that God sends to help you, you will not have faith. You'll get help, but not faith. Amen? So that's, there's, there's, a, there's an important thing. When, when Jesus, when, when the, the psalmist says, blessed is the one whose strength is in you, what he's saying is that you're waiting until your heart is so qu- quietened that in the midst of that jangling, alarming voices that are all over the, thing. the panic that actually causes, just want to run into the wilderness. wilderness. There's a way in which you say, saying, no, I'm going to hang on to God. I'm going to hang on. And so Elijah comes and does that. He hangs on, and then something happens. He goes on this journey for 40, 40 days. And as he goes on that journey for 40 days, he arrives at the mountain of the Lord. Um, and uh, it's, this is in uh, chapter 19. He comes up to a cave, verse 9, in First uh, Kings chapter 19, and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him like a particle. What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life and take it away. Notice the thing about depression. What depression does is that it cancels out every good thing that God's done. When depression comes, you can't remember the miracles that God has done. The miracles don't stand you in good state. There's something about depression and discouragement that has a way of totalizing the picture and sort of sweeping away everything. And so Elijah was actually suffering from that. And then he says, then God says to him, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Isn't that amazing? But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. He waited for the sound of the low whisper. He waited for that. It can be also translated, a thin silence. It's amazing. The Lord was in the thin silence, or the low whisper, or, the, or in King James Version, or the still small voice. Now, the ones who can wait for that and go past all the earthquakes and all that are the ones who get strengthened because the Word of God becomes a substance in us. The Word of God becomes a substance in us and when it becomes a substance in us, the people who have that, they can recognize the crumb. They can recognize the low silence. This is for the long journey ahead. This is for the long journey ahead. Or else, if you don't have that, you'll be distracted by the earthquake, you'll be distracted by important people, you'll be distracted by evil people, you'll be distracted by fears, you'll be distracted by attractions, you'll be, attracted by, you'll be distracted by your own inner um, uh, proclivities as well as cravings. Isn't that amazing? And then God speaks to him. And when he was able to hear that still, small voice, it says, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped himself in his cloak, the mantle, right? And went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. It was then that he was able to come out and stand right there and face it all. But he was wrapped up by the anointing because the cloak was his mantle. He was wrapped up by the Word of God. He was wrapped up by the presence of God. He was wrapped up by that. Everything that he saw, he saw through the Word of the Lord. Amen? And that's how God is actually strengthening us. Some of us have a long journey ahead. Your journey may be a whole year and you don't know what's going to happen. Your journey may be a journey for your children. Many people... Um are just wanting to get the result of their prayers, but their eyes are not towards God. One of the things that I, I, uh, I, I, I noted very sadly was that um, in, both, in two of my trips to Perth, I met many Malaysian um, um, people, uh, parents, Who left Malaysia because they felt that Malaysia was too unstable to get stability in Australia? They were people who uh, were well qualified and who knew they could make money in Australia. So they went to Perth. Was the nearest to uh, to Malaysia, and so you have a lot of Malaysians in Perth. Lots of Malaysians in Perth, very very successful, but their families are completely devastated. Because what they would do is to make these arrangements to go, go to go to Perth, stay there, and then come back once in six months or once in three months. And their kids are just completely, just completely devastated. And so you have people who have reached the bright lights. They have got all they wanted. But they didn't arrive in Zion before God. Their hearts had a highway, but the highway was towards their dreams rather than towards Zion. God can inhabit our dreams and turn them upside down, t- t- renovate them, and change them so that they, be, they become God's dreams. But these are people who experience the, the utter devastation of their children just being completely in- alienated. I saw case after case after case. And in fact, many scholarly articles have been written in Fuller, Fuller Seminary about this phenomenon in which Christians are going for their the 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 whatever the the glory it is that they are looking for, or they the fulfillment of their own promises, but at the expense of their kids, yeah. And so you could actually end up getting the job that you want, um, doing working really hard, and at the end at the end you've arrived at your destination thin, just thin, not thick with. God, the cupboard of God, the the weight of God's glory. And so may may I suggest that actually it is in the places of Bakar, the places of weeping where God is actually taking us from strength to strength. Because whatever happens in Bakar is something like this. We come to a place in which we feel dry, we feel empty, and you have to dig a well. And in faith you have to dig a well where that dry place is. And you find that miraculously as you seek the Lord, and as you dig a well towards God, you're waiting upon Him. God causes springs of water to come. Amen? So that bakar is no longer a place of weeping, but it's a place of springs and of outpourings. I believe that God was speaking about that. He was speaking to us today about this. And so I want to put it to you that you may be on your journey towards what God has called you to. And it's funny how God speaks to us his purposes and he puts it in our dreams as well. But he has to be the ultimate, dominant, decisive one in our dreams. He will renovate them, he will change them, and he will strengthen us for that. Amen? In whose hearts are the highways to Zion? We talked about strength in him. The second thing has to do with the fact that Our hearts can be highways towards Zion. Yeah? The more and more you and I can set our heart towards staying in the groove that God has for us and setting our hearts towards Him, what God will do is that He will conduce us to these highways. These highways become more and more recognized. More and more recognized. They're not random. They're not things that you have to figure out. They are a way in which they kind of they, they, they kind of become a natural flow that God has for us. And I want to put it to you that actually as we spend more time with God, spend more time in, in our devotional life and our prayer life and our corporate life, what happens is that God is actually doing a work in us to make those grooves clear. There will come a time in which those grooves, those currents, those highways are more strong than the highways towards sin. At first, it seems like the sin part, the sin, sin groove is very strong, and we just can't, can't help ourselves. Then after a while, it becomes equal. then after a while, the groove towards God feels more comfortable. When you get onto the groove towards sin, it feels uncomfortable. Have you ever felt that? Yeah You're following your own passions, your own desires. it doesn't feel comfortable. Yeah I, I, know, a, I, I know a guy who. It was in my church and um, he wanted to stop smoking and he prayed that God would give him a new groove, right? Because there was something very comforting about about smoking. You wake up in the morning, your fingers twitching, you've got to have it. And after that, then your day can begin. And that's how it was. That was comforting for him. But there was a way in which it just seemed impossible for him to have a different groove in which another kind of comfort would happen. And what God did was that he began to do that work, but he had to sit in it for a little bit. just had to sit in it for a little bit. In two days, he had kicked the habit because he was single-minded about it. Yeah? Now, that may not may be the case in every one of our, our our cases, but there's a way in which God is active in grooving us into his way. Amen. Yeah? I want to um, close in prayer right now. I think enough has been said. There is a long journey ahead of of us. Some of us will arrive at the destination but be completely lost. And some of us, in the middle of it, today itself, will experience the reality, the inner reality of that destination. Let us pray. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. I believe God was speaking to us during the worship. God's pouring out His Spirit. If you don't mind, I... If you feel comfortable, just go ahead and just open your hands before the Lord and just receive him. Let's turn our eyes towards Jesus. He's here, fully present. Fully available to us. There are some who are just riddled by fear, anxiety, sorrow, weeping, apprehension of the future. May I say to you that what God has for every one of us is that our highways will arrive before Him in Zion. And we will see His face. That whatever fulfillment of our dreams, we will see His face. Whatever fulfillment of our own ambitions, we will see His face. Whatever desires we have, we will see His face first. And everything that will come forth from that will be good. The Word of God is not just a proposition, it is a substance. When God says, do not fear, the substance that he's giving to you and me is fearlessness. Let's open our hearts to him. We Bless your name, Lord. We welcome your presence. We welcome your presence right now. You who would dwell in eternity and step into our own time, our own present moment, even where things are not resolved for us, the things are all cracked and broken up and uncertain and unstable, we thank you that you step into our present moment right now. He is present here. Bless your name. Even in this silence, He is present. Go ahead and turn your head, your eyes towards Him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of the earth will begin to fade, diminish. become strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace.
1: I just thank you, Jesus, that we get to run to you right now. We run to you, to the one that makes these highways, God, in our lives, both externally and internally. Lord, I just thank you right now for those of us who have been experiencing too much weight on our shoulders. That is a sign to us, God, that that, uh, we are doing the heavy lifting that you are supposed to be doing, and we are even off. Thank you. Thank you externally, places where we're exhausted, that you're calling us right now back to the throne room, back to the prayer closet, back to face-to-face. So we ask that this week, God, will be filled with many, many interior rooms, God, that we enter into with you in Jesus' name. We book them. Or we want to book them with you right now, Lord me. God. Amen. We want to book Amen. our morning times with you. And in Jesus' name, we put up the precious blood of Jesus on the outside and we show the enemy, you may not come into our interior room anymore. In Jesus' name, we book it right now against every distraction that would begin to lead us away. We book it with you, God. Fight. We thank you, you're fighting even as we fight it. In Jesus' name.
0: Lift up our hearts before him. Just worship him. Go ahead and turn our eyes towards Jesus. Turn our eyes towards him. You are Lord. You are Lord. You have risen from the dead. And you are Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Bless your name there's any way in which you felt your eyes have shifted away from him, you're bringing it back to him, go ahead and just just spend some time with him right now. Last few moments. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We bless your name and we thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.